Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Kelly S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Today is Thursday, March 1st. Today, we are reading from the big book. We are on page 32, first paragraph with, though there is no way of proving it, reading through two paragraphs ending with, with was dead within four years and we'll have comments on both those paragraphs today our readers are for the 12 steps Tenzin P 12 traditions Kathy R the readers of the text will be Lynn F Susan M and Barbara E our reference numbers for Wednesday yesterday February 28th 7 a.m. Eastern Time 110 wait 1-1-1-0-6, 1-1-1-0-6. And the 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 11108, 11108. OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, Quote, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers, end quote. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Tenzin P. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Tenzin. Good morning, everyone. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, ask him to remove, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 
10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tenzin P. I will now ask Kathy R. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Kathy R. I'm in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. Uh, These are the 12 traditions of our program. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Number two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OAs as a whole. Number five, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Number six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Number seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Number 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And finally, number 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I'm so grateful for doing the service, and have a great day, everybody. Thank you so much, Kathy R. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. 
then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we are resuming our study of the big book. We're on page 32, first paragraph, starting with, though there's no way of proving it, through two paragraphs ending with, was dead within four years, and comments will be on both paragraphs. And I will now ask Lynn F. to begin reading. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. Good morning, visionaries. Thank you all for being here. This is Lynn F. I'm recovered in Pennsylvania. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who showed definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. Um, hang on, I'm going to share and set my timer. Um, this, this to me is um, one a very powerful passage in the chapter one about alcoholism, and for me, this conjures up and reminds me of my countless attempts before recovery, where um, I was doing program dieting. And um, the line that stands out for me, he fell victim to the belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that after a long period of sobriety and self-discipline, had qualified him to drink as other men. And I recall after one particular um, episode on a diet program that I had really been immune to... um, foods that were uh, my alcoholic foods, they really did not bother me. They were not um, calling. I had some, what at the, at the time, you know, peace around those which I had not previously experienced. However, my isms began to creep up. And I remember one day particularly agitated at the grocery store. And um, I was in the checkout line and the candy rack um, suddenly had fluorescent lights and bells and whistles, which they'd never had before, and I hadn't noticed the candy rack. 
in a very long period of time. I don't even know. Um, but that day, the candy rack became alive, and um, many of the items found its way on the conveyor belt and subsequently into my mouth and off was the diet program. And I didn't understand what happened there until I came into recovery. But my life was just a series of those episodes of starts and fits. And um, the thing that really illuminated for me is that I just, I was hopeless out there. My um, character defects just continued to run the show. And it wasn't until I came into recovery that I could address the whole package. And um, it was, it's here where I have found peace and here where I have found um, surrender with my um, food and my emotional state and I'm able to find God and uh, recover one day at a time with you all. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Lynn F. Okay, so we're now going to be opening up um, for shares on those two paragraphs. Who would like to share? Hi, Roanne M. Rita K. Larry K. Okay. And here's who I have. Here's who I have Asa, so far. Nancy H. Nancy H. Okay. Oh. Hang on, hang on just a second. Here's who I have. So let's just stop for a second. Matt M. Rowan M. Rita K. Larry K. Barbara E. Nancy H. And Vasa O. And we'll stop there. So if everybody can please mute your phone, star one. And then we will take um, we'll take readers again or whatever, <laughs> sharers again later. So anyway, we're going to start with Matt M. followed by Ro Ann M. So Matt, you're up. Can you hear me, Kelly? I can. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. Propulsive over here in New Jersey. The difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop when there is yet time. I know about you, when I was in the middle of this um, addiction, when I started to gain weight at a younger age, I didn't know I, what prompted that I had a problem. I knew that I had an issue with food, but I didn't know I was a compulsive overeater. So I, I, I couldn't stop when I, had, when I yet had time before I got so bad that I lost the power of choice to eat. You know, so I had to really give in. I had to give in to that notion that, you know, now that I figure out what I am, that I, I can eat certain foods that I have to give them up or else I will die, go off past or go off the scene. It's not easy. I've been struggling with that and now I'm doing better. But, yeah, this disease is cutting, cutting baffling, and powerful. Look at the story of the case of the man of 30. You know, every every method, he was a rich man. Every method was at, was at his at the tips of his fingers for him to try to stop eat drinking, and he couldn't because he the disease picked off. It didn't pick off right where he um it didn't start from the beginning where he first when he first started. We're gonna pick off right where he left off when he was in um in, when he was younger, and and it, it got worse. It gets worse, never better. So it's amazing how quickly he deteriorated. But yeah. It, it it buckled right along, like as if as if he never left, and um, it's amazing that um, he lasted even the four years because this disease really got to him, and he, it it it's, it really is kind of baffling and powerful. With that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Matt M. Next up is Rowan M. Followed by Rita K. Good morning, Rowan. Hi, this is. Good morning. This is Rowan. I'm a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Thank you so much for your service, Kelly. Um, I love these paragraphs. It's a great reminder um, 
There is no way of proving that we believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. You know, when I think about my early career, <laughs> I think I started when I was an infant, and I don't think I could have stopped because I grew up in such a chaotic, uh, dysfunctional family that I think that if I didn't have food to comfort myself, I think I would have died because it was the only comfort that I had at that point in my life. And I think that I needed it at the time. I think it served a purpose at the time, even though it was an unhealthy coping mechanism um, for those early years of my life. And it, and, it, and it caused a lot of pain and suffering throughout my childhood. You know, when I look back, I needed it. And it served a purpose until it didn't. It worked until it stopped working. And then, you know, we, we have heard of a few instances where people who showed definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. I was not able to stop for a long period. I had short periods of being on a diet but then I always went back to the food. I had short periods of dieting, but I was always back to the food. It was my master. Like they say, alcohol is my master. Food was my master. And I love the story about the man of 30. Once he started, he had no control, whatever. That's the physical allergy. Once we start, we cannot stop. And I love how they talk about you know, that he had every means of solving his problem, which money could buy. And I was always, you know, I did not have that. And I always thought, oh, if I had the money to have a chef and a personal trainer and someone just to watch over me and monitor my food, that I would get this. But then we look at celebrities and they don't, and there's even celebrities that they don't have this, and their weight yo-yos up and down. And it's just a reminder to me that it doesn't matter what type of means you have, that this illness will take over and overpower you and kill you. It will kill you. It will kill me. Um, no matter what. And I really appreciate you for letting me share and be of service. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you, Rowan M. Next up is Rita Kay, followed by Larry Kay. Good morning, Rita. Good morning, Kelly. Thank you so much. Thanks for your service. This is Rita Kay, grateful and recovered in Kansas. You know, the the thing that really uh, steps out, uh, stands out to me here is that uh, once he started, he had no control, whatever. And when, whenever I read this, I think, you know, I don't think that anybody ever told this man who he really is. You know, it doesn't indicate that anyone ever had a chance to explain to him, you know, about the disease of alcoholism. And because once he started, uh, the craving had been triggered. And, of course, he had no control, whatever. And that's why, you know, I think uh, sometimes newcomers or even people returning to the room, 
to the rooms, um, you know, who are working with people who are working through this, who are, who lead people through the steps, they wonder why do I have to read the doctor's opinion again, or why do I have to read this boring? Because the doctor's opinion, that's where. It is pointed out time and time again, and this one sentence says, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And that's where we learn this, in the doctor's opinion. And, you know, as people who have learned it, and and I'm talking about myself as someone who knows it, but yet still will want to go back out as the previous paragraph talked about and do and do more research, you know, and maybe maybe I got this now, maybe I can control this. And what happens and for us, the physical part of our disease is very visible. For us, you know, the world sees us regaining the weight that we lost because we think that we got this and we have control. When we're learning over and over again, if we could put our good ears on and hear that we don't have control over this and that once we put it in our mouth, the craving has been triggered. And with that, I pass. Thanks for letting me share. Well, thank you, Rita Kay. <clears throat> Next up is Larry Kay, followed by Barbara E. Hi, Kelly. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for your service, Kelly. The, um, you know, the, the part that I'm going to focus on is the <laughs> no more, we can have no more lurking notions. Here, here's what I know uh, today through bitter experience, that a disconnection from my divine creator where food became, you know, my true master, well, that, that spells complete and total annihilation. And it's not punitive. It's not meant as, a, as an I gotcha, a, a zap. It's, it's just reality. There's divine connection and there's disconnection from the source of all power, which for me is God. And here's what else I know from a, a previous devotion to the, the lurking notion. No God, no, no higher power, then no true, true freedom from this disease. It's just that it's as plain as the nose on my face. And I, I don't have a cute little button nose either. <laughs> um, if I'm the beginning and the end of existence with no source greater than me, then all I get access to is me. And here's the thing about me. I'm temporary. I'm finite. And all who rely on me as their higher power with all my solutions, you know what they get? They get something finite. They get something temporary. The same thing that I got. And what I realized today is that through the pain and desperation of this disease, God was bringing me to the edge of the cliff. And the edge of this cliff, all we could see were the jagged rocks you know, below, we were, we were at step one, and my rational, self-centered, limited, finite mind tried to convince me that to jump meant certain death. And little did I know that by the grace of God, we might just have the opportunity to soar from hopelessness to hope. And, and the question really became, can we trust this process of action? See, because don't kid yourself. We can deny the divine nature of these spiritual actions that are embedded in these, these steps, these actions, but that would be like denying the power of gravity. I don't need to understand the who's and the what's it's and the why's and the how's of gravity. I just get the opportunity to accept its existence, right? You won't find the answer in a human mind. So, so I needed to quit, you know, 
Stop searching there. The human intellect won't reveal the answer. You know why the human intellect won't reveal the answer? Because the solution never existed in the mind of a human being. The solution can't be tapped into in the physical realm. It's only ever accessed in the spiritual realm. And how do you access it? Through these actions, through these steps. I needed to stop searching for where the solution wasn't. Because the age of miracles is found in the spiritual realm. Yet we keep searching under rocks and in magazines and in the tropical rainforest or somewhere else. And, and the magic pill was hidden in the last Time. place you'd ever look in the divine actions that come through these steps. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Next up is Barbara E., followed by Nancy H. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning, everyone, and thank you, Kelly, for your service. I am a compulsive overeater. No matter how long I've been abstinent, once I allow my disease to lead me to the craving which kicks in my allergy and then the mental twist, I am gone. I don't know how long I will stay abstinent. That, that gun, that Russian roulette, I know there's a bullet in the chamber. Maybe it won't be today. Maybe it won't be tomorrow. Maybe it won't be for a week, a month, or a year. But my disease will grab hold of me and drown me. It is malevolent and it wants me dead. I know it will kill me. I have a chemical predisposition to eat. And if this is a progressive disease for me, it gets worse whether I'm eating compulsively, my allergic foods, or not. There is only one thing that will keep my disease locked out and away from me, and that is the program and the big book. There are warnings and promises in this big book. I've underlined the warnings in red. Stop. I've underlined the promises in green. There is one warning that I can think of today that is both a warning and a promise. It has to do with the feeling of sharing in a common peril. It's one element that binds us together. But it's not enough for me because that means I'm looking for an element like you, human skin. I have to look outside myself to a power outside of myself to find a safer way to keep that disease. I have to keep on moving, moving, moving. Fellowship is wonderful, but it's not enough. I need that psychic change that we've referred to. I have been long-term abstinent and then gone back to the food over and over again. I take it back when I think I'm smarter, when I think I know it. That man of 25 years abstinence is me. I would diet for a wedding. I would diet for a bar mitzvah. I would diet and lose the weight. And then the minute the wedding was over, I would gain it back again. I had a sufficient reason to lose the 100 pounds. And then I had an even better reason to gain it back because I am a compulsive overeater with a disease. And I have to accept that every single day. I have to accept that. I have to accept the steps. 
and I have to do them every single day. My set-aside prayer keeps me in a better frame of mind. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Next up is Nancy H., followed by Vasa O. Good morning, Nancy. Hi, this is Nancy H., a recovering compulsive overeater from New Jersey. And thank you all for your service. Um, Thanks for this meeting. It helps me so much uh, every day. And definitely relate to everything that has been um, shared. I really um, relate to the having been abstinent for a while and then going back. And I think, you know, we tell the stories because this is how I learn what my patterns are um, of behavior. And, you know, in the big book, I mean, he talks about how he stopped for 25 years. Well, I kind of had the reverse. I was abstinent for about three years. And then I got pregnant with my daughter and I was breastfeeding. And then, well, I guess after I stopped stopped needing to do that, I just kept eating the same way. And slowly but surely, my abstinence went away. And um, that was, and she's 24 now. So, you know, I've been not abstinent for a while. And then about four years ago, I started coming back to program, struggling with getting abstinence since then. Um, When I'm not in the food, I have moments of tremendous clarity and I feel serenity. And I'm starting to feel like my abstinence is so important because it brings me closer to my higher power. The abstinence itself seems to be a tool to bring me into a place where I'm not relying on myself or I'm relying on God. Last thing I want to share is that I know that I need to just look at this one day at a time because if I start thinking about the weddings that I can't eat this at or that I'll never have chocolate again, which I'm very highly addicted to, then I get discouraged. But if I say, just for this one day, God, please keep me away from my alcoholic foods, I feel that God will help me to do that, and then I will begin to recover. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thanks for sharing, Nancy H. Next up is Vasa O. Good morning, Vasa. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive Vita calling from Florida. And I don't ever remember with all the diets that I did over my eating years that I could Put it down and keep it down. It just—it was just impossible. I remember going to the Weight Watchers, and you know, I'd do so, so, so good, and I'd say, "Oh, if I said it's so good, now you can eat a little bit of this," and I would go right back into eating. And if we gained anything in those those years in the Weight Watchers, and you had to pay, I didn't have the money to pay, so I never went back. And I and then I would go to something else experimenting, jogging, um, you know, dieting, trying to control the food, and none of that stuff worked. Uh, And by the time I came to Overeaters Anonymous, I was in so much pain. I, I just was so ready, and I was just so willing because I knew it was going to kill me. A food was my drug, which I didn't know they called a drug at that time, and it was really, really going to kill me. But I remember one time, even before I came to Eaters Anonymous, years, years before that, 
I remember putting the sugars down, and I was still eating other things. For three months, I lost all the weight, but I remember, like, my mind was crazy. And uh, so this is where the emotional part comes, the mental obsession. Step four, I wasn't working on the rest of the steps. And I, I did that by myself anyways. You know, I, I dieted from, uh, by my own willpower, by my own strength. It was so different when I came to Overeaters Anonymous. I had never, never heard any of this stuff out there in the world and then when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, um, I had seen some of my friends. I know one of my friends, she was doing so good. She went back into the food, and she was so sick. She had all kinds of heart problems, and nobody could get in touch with her. And uh, I remember visiting, visiting her one time in her apartment. There was food all around her. Finally, you know, they, nobody could get in touch with her, and the police had to go and and she was dead. She was beautiful. I loved her so much. She was dead, surrounded with all the food around her. I had a friend open the donut place. She licked it. One lick, she told me. And that was the end, end of her food, I'm, you know, being with a program or anything else. She was more concerned with the money, to make the money. And uh, I just, I'm so grateful I've stayed. I had a boss. And he's still a boss. You know, well, I don't work for him any longer. He did put the food down for three years. And then, uh, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, my time is up. And he did put the alcohol for three years. And then he finished his building, rebuilding. He went back into drinking. He's not doing physically, emotionally, spiritually that well. But anyways, I'm just so grateful. This is a killer disease. Please stay with it. Even if you're struggling, just stay with it. It'll happen. Surrender. That was my key. Surrender. Step one and two and three. And Thank then you work. for your share, Vasa. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Okay. Can so you please tell us what paragraph we're on? I, I was just getting ready to do that. So uh, we are on the big book, in the big book, page 32. We are on the first paragraph. Um, somebody needs to mute their phone, please. Press star one. Um, we are in the first paragraph, though there is no way of proving it, reading through two paragraphs ending with, was dead within four years, and we're commenting on both paragraphs. So who would like to share on these paragraphs? Susan M. Ross M. Leah M. Vivian Haskell. Frida. All right, so far I have Susan M, Ross M, Leah M, Vivian H, Frida, I think, but I didn't get your last initial. Hi, Helene L. Helene L. All right, well, let's stop there. So if everybody could please remute your phone, press star one, and we are going to start with Susan M, followed by Ross M. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Kelly. Thank you uh, for your service. I wanted to comment on the sentence, once he started, he had no control or whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch a drop. And the way that I can relate to that is that, um, you know, the no control whatsoever. And the other thing um, that I really wanted to focus on was 
he made up his mind. And though I have to make a decision in step three that I want to go forward with the steps and do the work necessary, um, I have to find, and the purpose of the steps for me is to find um, a spiritual solution and to grow along spiritual lines. And um, it's just important to me to remember um, my experiences that I had long-term, like 15 years of abstinence, and um, as has been said so many different times, one bite and, you know, uh, and, um, until I found vision and was able to regain strong footing. And when I when I reflect on that, I had an attitude of being, oh, so spiritual, she says sarcastically. And, um, you know, that was not the case. I have to concentrate and focus and really um, spend time to grow along spiritual lines and to have um, a psychic change sufficient to recover from this disease. I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Susan M. Uh, next up is Russ M. followed by Lay M. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, Kelly. Can I be heard? You sure can. Awesome. Thank you. This is Russ M., recovered compulsive overeater outside of Philadelphia. So the man of 30, you know, I identify that with that, but, you know, like at a young age. So throughout my childhood, you know, I was up and down and just eating like crazy. And so I got this crazy idea in my uh, junior year of high school that at five foot six, about a buck 80, I'm going to become a professional wrestler. And, you know, it, it was such a great idea. So I hook up with the right guys and uh, I get out of school and I start training. And I had that five-year respite while I was on the road. My diet was tight. I was in shape. And all the, all the restrictive qualities of a selfish compulsive overeater I had. Then I got hurt, and I knew it was curtains for the career. And it was just like I got the bottom of the slippers, man. And from, from then on, through college, through my career, working, up until last year, I, I just I just tore through everything. Hurt people, bulldozed people. Everything in my life was in shambles, not just the food. So I identify with this guy. And, it, you know, it hits me in the core because that's me in a way. But how lucky am I? How lucky am I that God allowed me to just get crushed and, and, and be on the brink of it, on the brink of saying, look, I want out that I fell upon LA. And then about six months in, I fell upon this meeting and then everything just changed and we worked the steps. And now I have a freedom and I could be the man that God has called me to be, uh, to serve others and not think of myself all the time. And then it's no longer about the food. Now I'm getting my house in order, but guess what? That's the miracle in it for Russell, for me. When I look back of the train wreck of, of, I, of who I was, from three years old, really, honest to goodness, three, four years old, being under stress, under pressure, trying to just cope with life, being uncomfortable in, in my skin. This is an incredible miracle. So that's what I got today. Just touched me, and you guys are the greatest, and if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't, I think I'd be dead. So love you, and I pass. 
Thank you so much, Russ M. Next up is Leah M., followed by Vivian H. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. Thanks for your service. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. You know, I look at this paragraph not only from the point of, um, you know, where my recovery began uh, several decades ago, but I look at it, you know, from each day, you know, each day, the lurking notion, (laughs) you know, what does it mean to lurk? Uh, lurk, you know, to lie in wait, to hide like a ruthless killer lurking in the darkness. And, you know, no matter how long uh, we trudge, uh, you know, I will always be a real compulsive overeater. You know, there's not a day where that is going to, uh, you know, uh, be completely eliminated. Yes, I am recovered, but I need to continue to live in the light because this lurking notion lies in wait in the dark. Um, You know, the flame may be doused, but the pilot light remains on. So what does that mean for someone like me? For someone like like me, it it means, uh, you know, examining the disturbances that come up in my life uh, with step 10, examining what might block that light, what is putting up a barrier between God and myself. Uh, you know, what is clouding the light that is available to me, uh, within me and around me. Um, in step 11, to continue uh, to develop, strengthen, and improve that relationship with God because he, he's my only answer. You know, without him, I'm a goner. That's it. Uh, you know, I cannot be the same person. The same person will eat again because unmanageability is an internal condition. So although the food may be down, uh, you know, the monkey may be off my back, but the circus is still in town. And so what attends to that circus? Well, it's the 12 steps. The 12 steps turns me inside out from a life-taking habit of self-obsession, me, myself, and I, self-will run riot, to a life-giving desire to be aligned with a power greater than myself that restores me to sanity and allows me with great joy uh, to give service to others. So this, re- this recovery requires a transformation of thought and attitude that continues. Because why? Because the disease lurks. The disease does not sleep, nor does it slumber. Uh, there's no graduation here. I'm grateful, uh, you know, to be here each and every day. I come here because I don't want to die, and also because I don't want to live in the way I once lived, because I lived in a way that was absent of quality of life. It was, it was complete suffering. However, that was the invitation to a transformation that continues. And with that, I pass. Thanks a bunch. Thank you, Leah, so much. Next up, Vivian H., followed by Frida. Good morning, Vivian. Hi, this is Vivian H. in North Carolina. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Um, I was a prior drug addict, and I had a history of drug addiction that was 45 years ago and with the OA program I am learning that 
because I have to have food every day, that I need him every day. And I cannot do this alone. What we allow ourselves to think, that's what we are. And our divine connection keeps us safe. He never fails. And he picks me up when I fall. And I know what I do that he sees me. And this makes me fall on my knees and surrender this day to him every day. And I know that with his help that I will get over this overeating that I've been doing because not only do you carry the things with you that cause you to drink and drug into food, that God has a way of working on us one step at a time, one day at a time, one minute at a time. And I am very thankful for listening to Visions. Thank you for your service. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Vivian H. Next up, I have Frida, followed by Helene L. Frida, I didn't get your last initial. Was there Frida? Well, maybe I uh, misunderstood. So we'll just jump to Helene L. Hi, this is Frida A. Sorry, it's just Hi, I'm being committed uh, to my abstinence and recovery. Wait, hang on just a second. Hang on. Is is this Helene? Yes. Okay, hang on, Helene. Frida got on the line, so can you hang on just a few minutes? Sure. Yes, it's it's okay, just getting sorry. unmuted. It's That's okay. Frida, what is the initial of your last name? A. A. Okay. Go ahead, Frida. you got three minutes. Thank you. Sorry. And yes. Um, uh, thank you for everybody who is doing service on this phone meeting. And uh, uh, my disease... Uh, the My disease really started at the age of 13 with my first diet, and uh, I was in boarding school, and uh, uh, we decided basically to diet uh, on four, five hundred calories a day, 600, and then binge uh, the next three weeks for years. And uh, the reason why I'm saying that is because uh, when uh, we were binging, we were, as the paragraph says, uh, saving time to to, uh, practice our disease every time. And then um, at the age of 19, a situation happened that uh, this time I literally... took the bottle of food and wanted to go to oblivion. And again, with uh, diets, uh, I, uh, diets and binging, I would be the binging part, buying time and time and time. And God knows <laughs> how much time I bought. Uh, I uh, bought to have brought me from 110 pounds 
to 263 pounds. Well, in I would say in almost half a century, 49 years. And um, when I came to this program, uh, I mean, this program has been my higher power. And uh, in, in between, before coming into this program, I once realized that uh, the only thing that could save me or help me, rescue me, is the presence of a higher power. And when I came to uh, OA, first of all, I was in two other food programs, and it was always my dream to be able to work the OA program. So one of my dream has become true, has come true. And um, But for me, working this program, I mean, uh, my higher power uh, tells me that the food part is not enough, I'm sure you all know that, uh, uh, you all know, but I don't always know that I have to do all the tools of this program for it, uh, for it to work. And, uh, and uh, as long as I uh, work the spiritual path, this program, uh, all the tools, uh, uh, within, within a few Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, Frida A. Next up is Helene L. Thank you for waiting, Helene. Hi, I'm Helene, uh, committed to my abstinence and recovery, and I don't usually speak on this line, but I listen to all of you, and it's, it's just wonderful hearing the commitment. I've been abstinent now for about probably 46 years, straight through, and um, I particularly like this section because in some way, in my heart of hearts, God has the higher energy in me has instilled a sense that I can't go out there and eat like normal people. And this is after a very long time having a kid, having, all, having the challenges of life, and having a thin body for a lot of years and an aging body that changes and a baby, and all of it. And the only way I could do this is by reaching out to people. Now, by reading, by listening to the truth, uh, the big book is wonderful, um, by calling in my food still, not every, well, I'm doing it basically before dinner, um, it just gives me a sense that I'm alone. And I ate for all the wrong reasons. I ate to be loved to, uh, because I was angry, because I was selfish. Who the hell knows? I, I just ate for all the wrong reasons. This program is a program of life. Um, it turns me inside out. It shows me that the bottom line about existence is really to be of service. It's not about me, 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 the baby. Um, and it's also teaching me compassion for myself. So, um, so good to be on the call. And I just wanted to thank all of you. I come on every Thursday. And the passion and the enthusiasm, um, it's, just, it's just beautiful. Thank you.
sorry. This is uh, Kelly. Thank you so much for your share, Helene. Um, I appreciate that. So we have time for one more share. Who has a burning? Lisa topic? B. All right, Lisa. Hey, Lisa, go ahead. Good morning. My name is Lisa B. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And thank you, Kelly, for your service. I needed to hear every share this morning, so thank you, everyone. It's been such a powerful meeting, and the words that jumped out for me is um, a great deal of spree drinking, and then um, in the morning after these bouts, he quieted himself with more liquor. Well, you know, it's like what we just learned with Dr. Carl Jung explaining to Roland Hazard that he has the mind of a chronic alcoholic. And that's me. I was born with that mind. And I was just waiting, you know, that illness in me was waiting for that right substance, that magical substance to pass through my lips and create that effect. And ever since then, I've been an effect seeker. And that word bout, it means a short period of intense activity. It also means convulsion, eruption, outburst. And, you know, that's just how I'm wired. I am wired to be full of bouts and sprees. My ego attaches itself. I can be full of fear, and my ego attaches itself to anything. And that self-will blocks me from my higher power. And today, through reading this book and learning who and what I really am, it is vital that I be aligned with my higher power. That is the only hope for me. And this illness, it continues to progress and grow, even though I'm abstinent. And it just kind of grows right along with my recovery, you know, and my recovery grows and it strengthens. But the um, illness continues to grow as well, and I don't always see it. But I need to live in these steps to keep everything in check. I can't keep it in check. My higher power has to keep it in check. And I, and I experience that power by aligning myself through doing the steps, getting abstinent. But I've just accepted that I seek effect and I can uh, be full of sprees. If I am not aligned with my higher power and abstinent and emotionally sober and spiritually sober, and that's what the steps mean to me today, but it starts with abstinence and it starts with learning who and what I am. And my higher power is the only answer for me. And I have you guys, which is wonderful, but really and truly being aligned and right with my higher power is the answer, the only solution. I have to remember that because that hole inside of me, I can hear the wind blowing through. Sometimes still in a recovered state, I can hear that wind and I need to still myself in prayer and meditation, being of service, you know, and, and living life and enjoying life. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate the share. All right. So that brings us to our closing. Thank you to everyone who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. So the share ID for today, Thursday, March 1st, is pretty easy. 111111. 111-111. So uh, I think I could even remember that. So we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Susan M. please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Kelly. My name is Susan M., recovered compulsive overeater in Oklahoma. Page 164. Can we get phone numbers now? No, you have to wait till the second half, so just hang on just for a while. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is so sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.